In other words, an hour in the morning and an hour at in the evening is more potent than two hours in the morning. Has anyone found that to be true? I think Ben's saying something, but I can't hear him. Sorry, that was I was muted. Um, that there's a different kind of flavor to the morning sit and the evening sit, kind of like what Sam was saying, but in the morning I'm a little more kind of high energy in the evening, a little slower, but the, when you kind of combine the two together, you do, I do get a good kind of momentum going. Yeah, so. yeah, I think, I think it has, I really do think it has something to do with there not being as much of a time lapse. Yeah. It, it starts mm -hmm. to approach more like being on retreat for me. Uh, I have the experience that uh, if I only sit once a day, uh, it feels like too much time elapses between sits. Like I almost forget what it feels like to sit by the time I'm sitting again. But uh, with like 12 hours between, nothing like that happens. That's totally my experience too. Yeah, I try to keep going throughout the day though. Like I have a lot of times where I'm like walking home or something or uh, a lot of micro hits as Shinzen Young would call it. So I've been focusing a lot on that lately and trying to make, uh, trying to just be more and more present, like as much as possible and reduce the amount of time I'm not present. Is there anything in particular you do, Sam? Like any particular uh, technique that you're repeating throughout so the day? So there's this thing that I've been doing lately. Um, I'm really enjoying, uh, I think what works for me is like getting a feel for awareness in some sense. Like what I try to do is if I find myself thinking about something, um, then I put my attention on the body as a whole and put my, try to make my awareness as broad as possible. And to do that, my attention sort of tends to go to like hearing in a way. Um, and I just find that if I just put my attention on the body and try to have a lot of awareness, then the thinking goes down a lot or it just, uh, I see thoughts come and go. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to sustain that like pretty much 24 seven. It's really tough with doing like intellectual work, um, like, you know, working or doing something. That's when I lose it the most. Uh, but I think it is possible to sustain a certain a high level of mindfulness, even if you're like typing on the computer, you just have to be very uh, vigilant about it. So like, uh, I think the next step is to have some kind of alarm on me or like s some sort of like every five minutes, like something goes off and ma make sure that I'm like present. Um, but it's kind of inconvenient to try to make my phone do that. And I don't usually, uh, wear a watch or anything, but I mean, you get to a point where it's just, it, it just automatically happens. Uh, I start, uh, if I lose mindfulness, I just kind of get it back uh, sooner or later and then just continue. But as far as like specific technique, I just put my attention on the body. That usually works really well. Sam, there's a program called MindBell that you can probably get for your phone that, uh, will ring a bell either at set intervals or random intervals. 
I used to use that a lot. It's quite effective. Until you start ignoring it. So don't. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like the broke one, right? It's like what? Broke. Broke? Depth finder at random intervals. I, uh, I, I, I used to use that. It's called stroke. And then, oh. but then I started ignoring it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't do that. If you start ignoring it, it's hopeless. And, and the problem for me was always that I would ignore it in social settings and that would start leading to me ignoring it in non-social settings. So really what you want is to have the, the thing have some kind of proximity sensor. And if there's more than two bodies in the room, it doesn't fail. But that's beyond the current uh, capabilities of our technology as far as I know. And if it's not, that's a little scary. So uh, I guess in this in this uh, lovely bit of silence, I will I will uh, make noise and and welcome you all to to the meetup that you've all already been meeting up in because I was late. Sorry about that. Um, sounds like you already found a good topic. Um, usual reminder: I'm recording. Uh, actually, it's been recording since you guys showed up because it records to the cloud. So if there's something that you said already that you don't want in the recording, let me know now. Um, and if there's something that you want to say that uh, you don't want in the recording, let me know and I'll turn off the recording. So does anybody have any, uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually feeling like maybe I should go away again because I really kind of like the conversation that I heard when I showed up. <laughs> it wasn't you. <laughs> uh, everything. Uh, so, so does anybody have any uh, stuff they want to talk about that we haven't already covered since before I got here? I mean, I could I could talk a little bit about what I'm, I guess, seeing and doing and noticing. Um, so uh, I guess, like I said, I'm trying to, trying to like get the complete 24 seven uh, experience. Um, and I've been, I've been sort of uh, reading a little bit about Dzogchen, which is a very advanced practice, but uh, I think it resonates with me because it's, uh, it's all about not going off to a mountain and shutting out the world, but learning to live uh, in the natural state in the world. And that's really cool for me because um, I found that that state is actually accessible. Um, and it's a, very, uh, it's a very definite thing that can happen. Um, and the more I just have the intention to just be here, present now. Um, I guess they, they call it rigpa or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but there's a, there's a definite, what seems to be a natural state of the mind that is when it's free from craving, um, that is just like delicious and really, like it's it's hard to describe how sublime it is when uh, when craving really goes down, um, and and 
uh, it's so I've been sort of obsessed with that um, that mission to like see craving and to notice every little tiny instance of craving because when it goes away it's so nice um, so um, it's it's almost involuntary at this point like I I go around and I just notice every time I'm craving in this in the slightest way um, and that's kind of like an alarm to just uh, either come back to the body or uh, accept whatever sensation is coming up and I find it easier and easier to let go of the craving the more I do it and I find certain types of craving are starting to just have less and less uh, they just don't motivate action as easily anymore um, so it's kind of a fun it's, it's, it's kind of a cool process and uh, that's what I've been uh, trying to do lately um, and the sitting practice is good but uh, I'm finding that you know like sitting in a controlled environment where you're just sitting and like with an intention um, that's that's nice and you can do things sitting that you can't do when you're walking around in life but really like most of our life is lived you know going about our day and doing things and being a human and uh, making money paying bills uh, doing the dishes that kind of stuff so being able to live with that and jive with that and see that uh, there's like a certain freedom that you can access even in the midst of that is really been uh, eye-opening and freeing in a way. So it's an interesting contrast, right? That, that when you walk around, you notice the craving come up and you can let go of it or you don't even really have to let go of it because it's a let go of automatically. But then when you're doing intellectual activities, it feels like something is going on that's not that, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, when, the, when the mind gets in there too much and the thinking mind takes over. Mm -hmm. I, I have this sort of sense that um, it's like it's like the self will sneak in like uh, the sense of being a self and the sense of that I'm like in charge of what's going on can kind of just sneak in the back door when you're using your mind for uh, intellectual type stuff and it takes a lot more mindfulness to see that happening yep. versus when you're just doing something more simple um, and I think yeah, I've noticed that this thing that upsets the rigpa is always a form of uh, the self coming in or the sense of self starting to seem more substantial um, or starting to buy into that sense of self. Um, and that's when craving comes in. And um, so seeing that is kind of like my practice at the moment. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed the same thing, but there's this very definite correlation uh, 
you know, like the self comes in and then the craving comes in. There can't be, can't really be craving if there's the recognition that there's no self here. Um, I think the craving comes in after the self. Um, the craving comes in when, when you get confused about the self. So, uh, that process of the self coming in through the back door, um, I wanted to share something with you because it's something that, that uh, Jeffrey Martin talks about in one of his courses that I think you might find useful, um, which is he says basically what's going on there is, is that um, a lot of the stuff that you do when you're thinking is stuff that you um, learned how to do and did a lot of before you had any kind of transition into you know, stream entry or an awakened state or whatever. And so when you start doing that again, all of the mental habits that were associated with that come in too. And the self is just one of those mental habits. It's not special. It's not like, it's not like thinking naturally brings the self into play. It's just that the, because you're thinking down a, a pattern that you were thinking before that when the self was always there, it pulls the self in again. And so, so that's why it's hard. That's why, that's why you're having to do more work to tease the self out because it's, like normally the self just isn't coming up, but it is coming up in this case, not because you're doing anything wrong or because thinking is automatically self-creating, but just because that's what the habit was. And so, so that, that Jeffrey actually specifically recommends using a mindfulness bell for that. So, because uh, you know what happens is you're like you're just cranking along on whatever the work is, and when you start off, you have this intention to not do the selfing thing and not have the craving come up, and then as you're cranking along, you just sort of go back into that default state. And the self comes along with the default state because the self is part of the default state. And so, uh, so you know, just having that, like if you, if you can really use the feeling of craving as a trigger to, to get your attention, then, uh, then you don't need the bell. But if, you, if that's not always working, then the bell can be handy because it gives you, it's like, it's like the equivalent of in TMI checking in, right? Like when your TMI practice is, is past checking in, then you don't have to do any work anymore to notice uh, that there's a correction that needs to be made. It just happens automatically. But until that happens, then you need to check in. And so that's the point of the mindfulness bell. Anyway. Well, and I mean, I would add in or, or make sure to say that, um, and one, I, I, I agree with, you know, what you, what you guys are saying, um, but that there's, there's so much conditioning, right? And there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, deeper parts of our psyche, like, you know, that are, that are deep down parts of the conditioning that aren't always activated, right? But sometimes get activated. And then, um, you know, that's always going in the mix, right? And like that, um, uh, that's why it's almost it's it's so great to uh, be out in the world and because I mean you clearly see all these other parts of yourself just get activated and and then it's you know it's what are you gonna do do about it right how how are you gonna meet it how are you gonna practice with it um, and yeah I mean it does sort of um, sneak yeah and it does sort of uh, it does and can kind of sneak through the back door. And I think that's just part of the practice. The practice is, um, you know, uh, 
really having the the best qualities of the mind of you know the practice to have that sort of uh sink down into you know into our bones into our marrow so that it is um i guess you could say it's automatic in a sense um but that's you know i think that's it, this is a this is a practice for uh, decades, I think, right? <laughs> it's you know, it's a, and it just seems like it just keeps going, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we seem to have uh, done our standard thing of of uh, talking about stage zur. Um, so maybe uh, is it, does anybody have any like stage you know one two three four five kind of stuff they want to bring up? I have something that, that came yeah. up, uh, if that's fine to share. That's awesome. Um, so last time I came was two weeks ago. And at the time, I was, I was talking about how um, I have this experience where I'll be meditating. I'll feel like I'm over-efforting and like I get a lot of tension on my face and it's just not comfortable. Mm -hmm. And Ted, you mentioned something to me that I've been trying to think about in the past two weeks, which is it's possible it's sort of like a, a bodily purification or something like that. Um, so these past two weeks, I've been trying to take like a different stance towards it where I'm just like, you know, just sort of let it be there. And then if it actually gets too distracting, I just sort of make it the, the focus of my meditation. Um, and that's been really helpful because I think I was unconsciously getting very frustrated. And now it's like, oh, it's just part of the meditation. And, you know, it's a very interesting thing to focus on. It feels a lot different than the breath. Um, and so it's been interesting to just sort of explore that in more detail. And I think that, you know, I felt what I think are purifications come up, like random thoughts I haven't thought in a long time have come up and like gotten a lot of like, I mean, I'm not the most emotional person in general, but like I felt something. Um, so I consider that a success. Um, so it's been really, you know, it's just been cool to, I guess, sort of feel like I'm making progress again um, in some way. One thing I'd be interested to hear from the group that I'm dealing with now is that like I get really weird sensations around my lips. Like it almost feels like my lips are just fluttering. I don't know if that's just a mental thing or if it's actually happening, but it's like vibrating like a ton. And that's not really something I've felt before. And it's, it's also becoming very distracting as you can imagine. Um, so I'm just sort of looking for, I guess, maybe some more tactical advice from anyone here or if they've experienced it. So, you know, what I should be doing about that. Welcome to the wonderful world of PT. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've heard that word. Is that what that is? Yeah. Or I guess I don't actually know. I've read the word, but I've never actually been able to compare that to an experience. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, I had the same sort of type of experience with the lips for a while. Um, and I think there's... Um, there's part of it that's like PT, that's a result of uh, unification of the mind. Um, but I also think that there's some component of these type of things that can be uh, just unconscious uh, tension coming out. Um, and it can be sometimes hard to differentiate the two. Um, but the advice that I was given when I was having this is to sort of open up the scope of attention. Uh, and uh, like if you can do the body breathing, I, um, I'm not sure if you dove into that very much yet, 
or um, I've only been focused on like stage four, so I don't know if that. I'm guessing that's a little further. I don't. I don't know what that means actually. Um, yeah. So stage six, they talk about the body breathing. Um, so I was told when I was having this happen a lot is, you know, like your. Uh, it's like your energy of attention is sort of like a fire hose, and if you decrease the diameter of the nozzle, the pressure is going to be way more than if you uh, increase the diameter of the nozzle. So by focusing on a larger area, you're putting less tension on that uh, space and you're giving the, uh, you're giving the part of the mind that is creating tension, you're giving it more room in a way. And then whatever else is the PT, it probably won't be as, as disruptive as that part that's coming from the tension uh, in the mind. Um, so I would say that it's a pretty normal process to have happen. And it'll definitely calm down, but I think you can work with it uh, by expanding how big of an attentional scope you're working with. Like maybe uh, instead of the nose, you decide that you want to focus on the torso and see if that changes the, the amount of tension that you're experiencing. Um, so that there's one, that's one thing there. And I've also uh, been told that if you can find, if you can look at it closely and see if there's some other uh, movement of energy in your body that's related to this, uh, lip fluttering thing. Like maybe you feel some tension somewhere else that's a little subtle that seems to be related. Um, just noticing that can uh, start to smooth things out a bit. Um, but yeah, that's that would be my advice. Cool, thank you. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds like something I can definitely try. Thank you. One, and I mean, I've, I've definitely had the, the, the same experience and um, Actually, there's the ways that I, uh, I I still have that experience, and to me, the approach I take is to just kind of um, watch it gently and just let it play out, and it it changes, and it you know, and and um, that seems to be very effective for me of where with where I'm at, just letting it play out, and, and as opposed to necessarily. Um, um, trying to make it go away or immediately like change it. You're just like, oh, okay. It's, 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 it is, I guess, just treating it like a purification and treating it like a purification just means like you, you know, you accept it to be, you accept it and allow it to, to be there as long as it needs to. And, you know, it does change. So, but yeah, the biggest thing I would say though, for you, Chris, is just like, I mean, I think it's, super normal <laughs> um, and, <laughs> oh, yes yeah super normal i mean it, it, people um and i think it it, it can surprise people because yeah it starts coming up i think when your concentration just starts getting you know good enough um you notice stuff they're like oh my god wow it's so cool this is is that pt stuff is you can have and it does kind of correlate or it can very much correlate with um, a sense of the energy body, right? And energy body, energy channels kind of moving around. Um, 
yeah, like, you know, sensations, like there's, you know, energy kind of coming from the top of your head, going through your body and going, you know, up, up, up your spine, all, all that stuff. It definitely can kind of correlate with that. Interesting. Yeah, I've sort of been taking the experience of like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to just focus my attention on this sensation because, you know, it's a new sensation. I'm just sort of interested in it. Um, do, is that... I mean, I definitely want to try what Sam mentioned about focusing on the torso, but is it a bad thing to replace the breath with focus on this new sensation? You say bad. People sometimes say that, like, I'm like, wait. It's a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, um, like it's not what good or bad. I mean, sure, it's not, it's not bad. I mean, like, it's, yeah, that's, that's not what, it's not, what's important is not, like, what you focus on, right? Like, what's important is, kind of more how you focus on it. What do you do when, you know, distractions arise or frustrations arise, right? That's more, what's more important. The, um, you know, take, take, you can take what you know about stage four and you can, you can apply it to watching the belly go, going up and down, right? That's, yeah. yeah. So one thing I would add as well um, is um, this can be useful if you just don't, attach a story to it and just simply observe what's going on. Um, because um, you might find that there, you can detect that your mind has tension because uh, part of you thinks that you can control what you're observing or um, you might notice a tension between um, trying to observe something and, and, and actually observing it and uh, if you if you can have as little story about uh, about what it is as possible, that'll be most beneficial, I think. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. This is something I um, deal with a lot, and what I found to be the most useful for me. Oh, and although let me qualify um, my interpretation of what I'm experiencing, in that I do sense that it's something related to tension um, or efforting or um, though it's definitely also related to increased steadiness of attention and everything. Um, so I see it as a good thing, but um, as an indicator of what's happening. Um, and so what I found to be really useful is to, um, to actually spend some time and it's possible to spend too much time, I think, um, actually switching it to the object, but not just switching my attention to it as the object, but to very deliberately um, allow my attention to go there because it's obviously trying to catch my attention and to very deliberately not try to do anything because I found that when I first started to try to switch my attention to it, that I was still also trying to follow the breath. And so basically my attention was just kind of um, a little all over the place, but that specifically letting it, grab my attention and very carefully not letting myself do anything else. And I could actually feel what was happening 
like very observed very unbiasedly without getting in the way at all, which is what Sam was saying. And, um, and that that then increased the resolution of what I was sensing to the point where I could actually almost, I can actually kind of sense it like tense muscles and actually almost voluntarily relax them a little bit. Um, certainly not at first. Um, and maybe it's slightly, maybe sometimes it's not something I could voluntarily relax. But, um, but some of the most, um, I think I've achieved my most equanimous states by focusing on one of these distracting attentions. And it's happened several times where it's just something that was just such a steady attention and that I was accepting it and not trying to interfere with anything. And so I actually found it really helpful. What I haven't figured out is kind of balancing it with going back to the attention on my breath and everything returns and, but so to some extent you just have to move beyond it, but I don't know. That's just some of what I've tried and found successful. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. So about to pile. I have a question for Karen and Chris. Just yeah. This tightness uh, sensation that you guys are describing, uh, or, um, Carrie, you, you said that it was actually like mus muscle tightness. Chris, I'm curious if you have the same thing. Is it actually tensing muscles or is it just the sensation of tightness that you're experiencing? I think uh, that it is extremely subtle, like just the tenseness of holding my jaw from flopping open um, is one example. Um, I've noticed that as I try to narrow the focus to my breath, that there's actually some eye muscles involved a little bit, maybe almost kind of looking at my nose um, that I try not to do, because um, that can get me seasick pretty quick. Um, and um, Oh, and one thing that really kind of clarified that the sensations had a kind of a physical aspect to it as well is when I switched from sitting up to lying on my back and I felt like a cartoon character that was in a stiff wind where the skin just gets pushed backwards because gravity was going this way rather than this way. Um, and that the sensations kind of had that quality and it was actually so different that it was too distracting at that point. Um, but there's definitely kind of a, a peaty, peatiness to it as well. Um, so I think because it is something that as I quiet my mind, it just kind of boom appears. Yeah. Um, and it kind of appears with a tingling that's throughout my whole body too. So. Yeah, and for me, like the lips are the main thing I notice, but similar to Carrie, like every now and then I'll feel like my lips are just sort of like being drawn down by gravity and it feels like I'm just mm -hmm. loose, like losing a lot of tension. Um, and then other times it almost feels like the lips are twisting in a way, um, which yeah. is confusing. Um, and then, unrelated to the, the lip area, but sometimes it'll be just with the, the breath at the nose, it almost feel like I'm breathing through like a solid object and 
just a different breath experience. I don't know if that's dullness or something, but it just feels a lot different of an experience. Is that breathing through a solid object a disconnect of like something where the um, the body mapping is disappearing or does it just feel like you're struggling to breathe? Because I found sometimes like I'm breathing, but that I'm breathing through something that isn't my nose. Um, For me right now, it's the latter, not the former. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they talk about, uh, he talks about the acquired appearance of breath. Yeah. Um, and when I first started noticing that, uh, my nose didn't feel like a nose. And there's just these sensations there that didn't feel like uh, air moving through a nose. I couldn't tell you what it felt like, but I knew that it, there was there was some sensation there, but it wasn't a nose sensation. So I think that's what that's, that is. <clears throat> yeah. And um, given the sensitivity of your lips, Chris, there's, um, and of nerves in the face in general, it's not surprising that it focuses a lot there. And um, one interesting thing, uh, one of the more odder things that I've had happen is that it often feels like I've got somebody else's teeth in my mouth. Not that I'm missing my teeth, but <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's surprisingly undisturbing um, at the time. And it's only kind of on reflection that it feels like it's somebody else's teeth, but um, that's definitely a kind of a concept that I put to it later, but is, um, but yeah, there's the, sensation, there's the sensation of teeth in my mouth, but I also know they're not mine. So it's kind of. It is surprising that that's not disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because when it's happening, the thought isn't there. Uh -huh. That it's, it's somebody else's teeth. Because, right. Yep. And so, um, and I can still remember the sensation when I kind of, or it, it actually isn't so much like someone else's teeth, but maybe like somebody's dentures. Just this you know, stuff that's not me. Yeah. And because well, I can very clearly feel the teeth in there. Location they're in my mouth. Well, and, and then, uh, to me, this all points to Carrie, kind of what you're talking about, the whole changes in body mapping or, you know, before meditating you have this very rigid and very simplified view about how everything works even how your breath works right but how your breath and how that's connected to your nose connect to your face like and it's it's just so rigid but then with meditation like that stuff just kind of unravels a little bit right and like and then you're just left with oh wait maybe i don't need to hold on to this you know rigid view of the breath where <laughs> i mean uh, an example I'm, I'm i'm thinking of is like if you teach someone to meditate or kind of one of the first things they do to follow the breath is like take these exaggerated breath mm -hmm. you know and it's it's just because you can tell like they don't know how to pay attention to the breath without being so uh you know following those exa exaggerated sort of movements right and and how with meditation it just sort of 
unravels and makes everything just more subtle and and you start noticing things that yeah you wouldn't you were too distracted to you know too much stuff was going on in your mind right for you to notice so binding moments are what tie things together in a story like for selfing um is there a tmi um word for things that bind together like things together in the um is it the the acquired perception that is the kind of the synthesis of everything together or is it the 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 parts that get put together into that synthesis i forget if you don't mind my getting a little technical on you there are a couple of quibbles that i have about what you just said um so okay. first of all uh what creates stories is is the sort of the narrating model. the narrator yeah right yeah and binding moments of consciousness um happen at all different levels and so the narrating okay. mind is doing binding moments of consciousness for sure but any time that you take two sensations and put them together to understand what they mean in a more system systematic way then the, the individual sensations by themselves could have been interpreted as yeah. uh, that's finding moments of consciousness and action, right? So, okay, so finding, they can be very, very subtle. In fact, yeah. everything that you're experiencing, really, like it's it's almost overly optimistic to suggest that you're ever experiencing anything that's not the result of a binding moment of consciousness. Yes, exactly. So that's pretty much what I've kind of assumed that it was um, the falling away of a particular kind of binding moment that led right. to these. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but you actually, you mentioned the acquired appearance of the breath and the interesting thing about the acquired appearance of the breath is that it's actually just a mental image. It's not anything to do with the breath itself. It's not oh, okay. anything to do with the breath sensations. You're concentrating on the breath and you have a mental image of what the breath is and mm -hmm. that becomes the thing that, that you take as your object. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not actually the breath. Mm -hmm. It's just, yep. it's just a representative object of the breath. And then, and then uh, you can also have a relationship to the breath where you're experiencing, and actually I need to be a little, little bit careful about this because I'm not sure that I'm expressing this correctly. My recollection is that the, what Chula Dasa has said about the acquired appearance is that it is the, the mental image, not the sensations. But then there's also an experience of the breath separate from the mental image where the mental image is not being bound to the sensations at all. Mm -hmm. That's when you get what Sam was talking about where it's like, I don't know what the hell this stuff is. Mm -hmm. There are these sensations. I know that they're breath sensations, but I don't know why I know that they're breath sensations. I don't even know what they feel like. I just know that I'm feeling sensations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they feel like something, but but it's hard to say what it is that they feel like. Yeah, and, and over time, you just get more comfortable with the ambiguity. Right. And also in this conversation, it, it definitely has me, uh, you know, um, not just realize, but recognize that, I mean, it's no wonder why sometimes like meditation can be uh, difficult for people, like particularly as they're at certain stages, because like I said, like that whole world, body mapping, changing your, your sense of even just your, how your body is re relating to the world, all of that, like it, it, it starts subtly changing. Right. And, and it's, it's not like, it's not like it changes to something else. It's more like 
you just, you don't know. And there's so many things that you don't know and you get yep. comfortable with that not knowing. Yep. But it's, it's something else that's not what, whatever, whatever your rig, you know, rigid cartoonish view, right? That's, it's, it's not that, but, but it, So uh, to pop the stack one level, one more level, um, Chris, you were talking about the, the lip flapping thing, which is kind of a cool image, by the way. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen some, some uh, psychedelic comic or cartoon where, where that was a thing. And even the, the like twisting of the lip into a spiral mm -hmm. was a thing. So obviously other people have experienced that. Um, but uh, what I wanted to say about that is that um, a couple things. One, it's not actually a problem, right? It's just what's happening. So, so be careful not to, not to like tell yourself a story that it's a problem. It doesn't mean that you can't do what Sam is talking about um, where you approach it as a problem, but just it's not actually a problem. Like you don't have to solve it. It's just, you know, if, it's, if there's some tension to be found, it's probably worth going and finding the tension. But, but, um, but it's also just interesting to take it at face value, right? So you don't have, you, you can experiment with that. Um, and the other thing is um, that uh, I've noticed this in my own meditation. And so I say this not based on like some great, you know, TMI uh, book knowledge or something like that, but just based on what happens in my own meditation, that if I turn my attention to the sensation of PT, uh, that actually winds up derailing my meditation. Um, right now. Uh, I'm not saying that's always the case, and I'm not saying you should never do that. I'm just saying be aware of that possibility, and if you find that that's what's actually happening, then it's probably worth avoiding it for the time being. Um, what happens for me is that if I get distracted, if I, if I turn my attention to the PT, um, then the thing that was causing, so the PT is actually a symptom, right? It's, a, it's an indication of something that's happening on a deeper level. And the thing that's happening on a deeper level is happening because I've been doing the meditation practice. And so when I turn my attention to the PT, now I'm doing something different. And what tends to happen is that the PT tends to, to, to change at that point. Um, or uh, like the thing that I was doing, that the, the, the sort of freight train that was barreling down the tracks is suddenly diverted and it's no longer barreling down the tracks. Um, and it's not like the place where I wind up is bad because there's a lot of, you can, you can, the PT is a very attractive object. You can get a lot of intensity or a lot of, uh, uh, focus on the PT, but, um, but I actually don't wind up making progress. Like I'm trying to get to stage six and instead I wind up just kind of hanging out at stage four and enjoying the PT. So, and I've noticed that when I don't do that, um, then I actually wind up getting deeper and actually the PT gets stronger. Um, because I'm not putting my attention on it. So uh, just something to play with. I'm not saying that you have to do it the way I'm doing it, but, but you're at a point now where you, you, you actually do need to be a bit experimental because that's how you find your way into the territory. And so, so that's one of the things I would suggest you, you take as an experiment. Cool. <clears throat> awesome, yeah, this is super helpful to have like three or four like things I can actually try and see how it goes. So okay. yeah, thank you everyone, I really appreciate it. Good, good I second the vote for um, experimenting. Yeah. For some days it's the right thing and some days it's not. Okay. Uh, so 
what is our next topic? I think, uh, you know, anybody who's got early stage stuff should feel free to bring that up. We can go. Oh, sorry. Mike, did you have something? Or, oh, oh Rodrigo, go ahead. We haven't, yeah. I have, yeah. Um, I was here last week, but I didn't speak. So yes. this is my first time. Uh, as I said, I'm from Brazil and I have been meditating seriously for about six years. Actually, I've been interested in meditation for as long as I can remember, but for real, uh, about six years. And for the last 10 months, I have been using TMI as my main practice. And it's, well, from the beginning, because of my previous uh, experience, I started around stage three, by the end of stage three and the early stage four. But for most of the last 10 months, I was stuck in stage four, uh, a lot of dullness. And I have read the, the Nick and Tucker Peck, I think, posts about uh, being stuck in, at stage four. Uh, I, I particularly resonated with the idea of uh, lifetime sentence to stage four. And so I, I try to use the, the different suggestions of, especially with regards to over-efforting, I think that was one of my biggest biggest issues, and I had uh, what Carrie talked about about uh, looking at my nose, and I th I think that I had some some tension coming from trying to focus on my nose. So for a long time, I actually dropped the focus on the nose and tried focusing on on the chest, uh, and that helped a little bit. But it was only I think. Uh, your post said on Patreon, I don't, I don't know, about intention, intention, release, and observe, something like that. And so for the last month, I have been seeing some progress. And for this last week, I have actually been mostly at stage five. I can, yeah, <laughs> great progress, <laughs> great relief also. Actually, before I could, uh, I could, reached something in stage five, but it was very tense and very, I don't know, it felt like a dead end. So it was like a, a stage five, but also not, not a progress. So when I, I, I relaxed uh, the, the efforting, I got back a little bit to stage four, a little bit of dullness, uh, a little more distraction, but uh, with the intention and actually, I think that there was a lot of things that helped, helped um, especially because, well, earlier this month I have a, had a breakup in a long-term relationship, so I have been dealing with that. But uh, in the end, what I felt is that by relaxing, and with that I can, I can relate to Chris's experience, at, at least in, in a sense, because what I felt was that in stage four, because of the effort, I had a lot of tension in places in my body I didn't even know that was there. So at one time, I, I experienced my, my belly relaxing, and I was surprised, whoa, that tension was there, and I, I couldn't even see it. So, so yeah, for the last week, I have been having more success with stage five, 
actually I have been experiencing a little bit of uh, restlessness. I don't know if that's for from the, the beginning of stage five. So I, I, I was meditating for about one hour uh, every day. And because of the restlessness, I was having a hard time finishing the one hour. So I, I cut back instead of, uh, of finishing the session early. Uh, I decided to cut back to 45 minutes. So I have 45 minutes and I, I stick to the end. And so yeah, that's what, what I'm dealing with. Uh, especially, I have been having a, a little more distraction than, than at stage four, but I think it was something that I, I believe Ted said in an early uh, meeting about having to deal with the mind now at a, a different energy level. So you have new energy and you have new distractions and have to deal with that. But it has been, it has been fun, it has been good. Uh, it's, it's definitely an improvement. That's great. Yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the restlessness thing is actually something that I think people struggle with a lot. And, and um, it's especially like, it seems for a lot of people, it happens actually at the beginning of stage four, but um, you had a slightly different entry to stage four. So it's not surprising that you're experiencing yeah. it now. Um, and the only, I mean, and, and it's, what you want to do is you want to actually get the restlessness to come up, right? Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to shorten the meditation to the point where yeah, you're... I know, I know. I, I I was just testing actually this week for minutes just to to stick to, to my schedule, not to be uh, discouraged. But uh, but I'm planning on um, reamping the the meditation. Someone yeah. at Reddit said I don't don't recall who who, who it was that. If my if the last five minutes of my meditation is not a hell, then I'm not doing it for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Only when the restlessness is happening. It shouldn't be hell. Yeah, I, I know. I understand. It's just yeah. that you you don't wanna just get too comfortable and to stay within something that is easy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, one of the things that helped me with the restlessness. I don't know if this will help you at all. Is I realized like. Um, I could relate to the restlessness as kind of my in, my inner toddler, my inner like little child, uh, yeah. just like I want to go play now. I'm yeah. so energetic. I've got so much energy. I yeah. want to go play. And you have to just like give your little inner child a hug and say, "Yeah, we're gonna play here. This is gonna be fun." <laughs> yeah. That's like, fun. yeah, whatever, whatever, Gramps. <laughs> but great. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm really glad to hear that uh, that that helped you because uh, yeah. yeah thank you thank you for that quote you're welcome I have to I have to second that real quick Ted I don't know if you heard from Tula Dasa I was at retreat at the Stronghold and in my interview I told him how much that article helped me. <laughs> <laughs> No, he he keeps that stuff private, so he wouldn't have he wouldn't okay. have said that. Okay, I thought he might kick it up to you, but if not, I'm thanking you. Personally. Yeah, yeah. Really, it was for some something about it. It just and it was the release. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I still well, catch myself. Did I release, or am I still thinking? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is like this is this is the fruit of of pain, long painful experience not releasing. Yeah. So. That's why it seemed like the thing to say. So anyway, I'm glad it was useful. Um, yeah, so uh, now that my ego has been fattened, uh, we should probably move on. Um, 
does anybody have any any I, I did I see you raise your hand earlier Mike no uh yeah well I was about to um, talk but um, nobody else was gonna go um, yeah, I don't go have any huge things just I feel like I'm kind of talking <laughs> sure uh, yeah, I just I feel like I'm kind of talking about the same thing every week, which is just a kind of uh, feel like most of my sits are, are around stage one territory uh, almost every time. It, well, in terms of mind wandering, um, uh, and if they're not, then they're just almost immediately strong dullness, um, usually by the time I get done with the four-step transition and count to 10 breaths, I'm like, I am having kind of dreamlike imagery already that you, that it, that it comes so quickly that uh, I didn't even have a chance to think, oh, am I starting to feel, I'm starting to notice when, when some dullness comes in, but other times it just goes straight there. So um, yeah, the, I, those two things that I've been wrestling with is either the, that dullness that's coming or a type of mind wandering that I can uh, go to sit and I can still forget and mind wander for 15, 20 minutes um, about some, I mean, for me right now in terms of family and career and all that. So it's, it, it keeps kind of going back to those things um, and I'm expecting that to happen, um, but just feels like I'm not, uh, I would have a lot of negativity around my, my, my meditation sits now because they are just those, those two things, nothing really, you know, besides that, I think I had this week, maybe the first time I was alert enough and focused enough, um, probably the last month that it was kind of similar to what was going on. I would say last year, um, I, when I was sharing with the group some of those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at. I feel like I'm, I'm talking about the same thing every week <laughs> when, I have, when I talk about my sits. Well, so, so it's good to talk about the same thing every week. If you're not making progress, then we need to figure out what the next thing is to try. So, so you shouldn't feel bashful about that. Um, a couple things. One is you said you're still at stage one, but what you described was really stage four, not stage one. Um, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just saying that because it's, it's really, it's, it is actually useful to be clear about what's going on and not sort of vague, because if you're vague, then you don't really know how to address it. Um, and so, uh, it, I, I mean, one question that I have for you is you said, you said you think a lot about, you, you have a lot of thoughts about like career and things like that. Do they feel like they're realistic or are they more sort of like a little bit dreamy? Like, are they, are, do they feel like they're fiction or fact? Um, I'm not sh well, I'm not sure I understand 100% how you would, well, I would characterize them mostly as problem solving and okay. planning and okay. All right. considering and, and, and those kind of things, which is yeah. what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the, something comes in and says, well, like, well, I could do X, Y, Z or analyzing or something like that. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, does it feel like uh, when, when they come up and you start thinking about them, does it feel like it's useful? Uh, independent of whether the meditation is going well or anything, does, does, does the actual feeling when you're having those thoughts, does it feel like, oh, I'm thinking about something useful? Um, I would say the majority of time it's probably not, but the minority of the time where it is makes me keep going back to that, to it. I think because when you asked me that question, I thought, yeah, I, me I remember thinking that I was going to, I had an idea to do to this thing. And then I, and then I wrote it down later. Um, so it was worth it, but then I, you know, that was maybe 20% or less of the time that 80% was going over okay. the same things over and over and over again. Let me be a little bit clearer. What I mean by useful is not that you've got a useful result out of it, but at the moment that you're thinking about it, does it feel like it's worth thinking about? No, because I, uh, I have kind of an intention that if, something like that comes up, I would want to kind of let it go and put it to, you know, keep that time for my meditation, put it after, you know, or kind of slot it into certain times in my life. If I'm going to be working from nine to five, then I want to think about it from that or worry about it during that time and relax outside that time or something like that. So I'm being a little bit of an optometrist here and trying different lenses on to see which one seems like it fits. Okay. So that's fine. Uh, so does it feel like uh, there is a struggle between the idea that thinking about this thing is useful and the idea that it's not what's on the agenda right now? In other words, is there a part of you that thinks it's useful and another part that's like, yeah, sure, but we're not supposed to be doing this right now? Yeah, I would say so. And I rationally know that I'm, there's a part of me that wants to figure it out. And I think I'm starting to get kind of small hints of that part as I'm starting to ask that question about, well, I'm, ha I'm conflicting these two ideas of mm -hmm. I want to do the meditation now. And then this comes in to try to fix or think about something. So um, what I'm going to suggest is that um, when you get to that place where you're having that, that um, ambivalence, like you, you, you have two ideas of what to do. They're not in agreement. You have to do one or the other and you're kind of struggling between the two. Um, when that happens, um, actually like notice, like, like take a moment to just notice that it's what's happening um, as opposed to uh, feeling resistance to it. So, so if you feel resistance to it, notice that you're feeling resistance to it and, and, and just like whatever it is, just be present with what's happening. Um, so if you're, if you're feeling resistance to the struggle, then be present with the fact that A, you're struggling and B, you're feeling resistance to the struggle. Um, and just try to, try to get in touch with what's actually happening because you're noticing a problem. You're aware that there's something that's not going right. So, so uh, when that awareness arises, just do a check-in. Like, like uh, A, what's, what is actually happening right now? And whatever it is, is fine because you don't have any control over it. So it doesn't help you if it's not fine, right? It's, it's, it's already happened basically. So 
So it's fine, whatever it is. And just like actually check in with that if you can, that it's fine. Like you, you, you're, you're in this place where you're noticing this happening, you're having this struggle, you're having this resistance and it's fine. Uh, because be, just because you can't do anything about it anyway, so it might as well be fine. Secondly, um, is there, uh, would it be okay right now to just go ahead and think about the thing that's distracting me and see how that feels? And then would it be okay to just not think about the thing that's distracting me? and see how that feels. And really like just get very observant about what's going on. And, and, and the point of this is you're, you're, it's not that you're gonna come to a decision like on an intellectual level. What you're really doing is you're actually setting your deep mind to a task uh, of exploring a little bit, just to try to get in touch with what's going on. Because then uh, this decision process is the result of a struggle in the deep mind. Basically, you've got two different sub-minds that are saying like, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. And, uh, and they're both on your side, right? It's not like one of them is you and the other one isn't you. They're both you. Um, they're both on your side. They're both trying to do the right thing. You, you do have problems. You do have career issues that you'd like to think through, you'd like to figure out. It's not wrong for you to be thinking about that. You also would like to be meditating. It's not wrong to be meditating. So, so rather than getting into a big struggle about it, just try to get more in touch with, with those things. Um, and then uh, see what intention arises. Um, you know, if an intention arises to continue meditating, then, um, then figure out what the next step is. Like, what should, I, what should I do to avoid getting back into this place that I am now? Is there something I can do to avoid getting back into this place now? And so like be really methodical about that. Um, and, and really like, like don't feel like it's a distraction to actually try to think about that because, because yes, it is a distraction, but that's where you are in your practice right now. And so it's okay that it's a distraction. So, um, so like, you know, okay, I got into this place where I started thinking about work uh, did that happen because I had a thought about work and then I didn't notice that I had a thought about work until it bloomed into this big thing? Oh, well then let's see if I can notice thoughts like that. And let's, so let's make that my, my, my practice for now. Like I'm going to try and notice just the beginning of that train of thought. And it's okay if I don't, because this is just, we're just experimenting here. It's, it's fine if the result is that I notice that it happened again. That's okay. But, but what I'm trying to notice, what my intention is, is to notice that initial thought that blooms into this big train of thought. And, and then when that initial, if I do succeed in noticing that initial thought, then my decision point is a little simpler, right? I haven't actually gotten distracted. Uh, I don't need to feel bad about having gotten distracted. I don't need to feel resistance to having gotten distracted. I just have a decision right now. And historically, the decision has been made automatically. So now I'm actually noticing the decision point. What decision, what intention arises when I notice the decision point? Is the, does, the, does the intention arise to not follow the thought or does the intention arise to follow the thought? And so just keep like drilling down on that. And I think what you'll find is that, is that, um, the intentions that arise are useful. And uh, so, so, and it may, it, 
my experience with, with going through this process myself is that uh, it's not a quick process, right? The first time that you try to do this, you fail multiple times. If you sit for an hour, you might spend 15 minutes trying to get the first time that you notice one of these thoughts before it turns into a gross distraction. And so basically you spend the first 15 minutes in gross distraction, which almost feels like mind wandering. That's fine. If you, if you get to the end of the hour and you found the subtle distraction once, that's a victory. And if you get to the end of the hour and you've held the intention to try and find the subtle distraction, but you haven't succeeded, that's also a victory. So, um, so just keep doing that and see if that helps. Uh, so that's what to do about the gross distraction. Um, the dullness, um, are you getting enough sleep is the first question that comes to my mind. No, I'm not actually, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm trying to work on as well. Right. So, so when you say you're trying to work on it, that implies that you're not succeeding. So do you know what's stopping you? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think part of it is I'm, I'm just light sleeping lately. I, part of it actually is the, all, you know, the work stuff, the life stuff is, mm -hmm. I think that is interrupting things. Um, I do, I track my sleep logs and for, I think for the past, I mean, for example, this week uh, I was probably at like six hours to seven most for uh, ideal eight hour sleeper almost on the dot. So I know that I'm not getting enough. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's, it's that. Um, I got some earplugs now. I think that's going to help a little bit. <laughs> it helped for last night. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's something that I'm trying to, trying to, to work on. Yeah. So um, when you go to sleep, are you tired? Uh, it depends on the night. I would say I have a, I have a long history of just kind of being a late night person who does, doesn't feel tired enough to go to sleep. So I just don't do it. Um, and I'm trying to, trying to go towards being more of an early person or at least getting into bed and, and kind of getting off my phone and all that. Um, doing proper sleep hygiene mm -hmm. to, to get there. But yeah, I can, I can, they, oh, it's, it's, it's time to go to bed or it's one hour after the time I should have gone to bed uh, and I don't feel tired. Um, and there's kind of a, there's old habits there that are like, well, you know, I'll just watch TV or go on my phone until I get tired, which never really happens. So uh, yeah, there's a, there's some sleep, yeah. sleep issues surrounding that. So um, if you were to do the thing where you stay up too late, can you then get up less early or are you basically screwed by your schedule? Uh, are you saying if I stay up very late until I get tired and then Just sleep later, sleep in? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I work from home so I can adjust things as yeah. needed, but I, I notice I'm not as productive when I do that. I have kind of like a, a feeling that the day gets wasted and, the whole day shot so and yeah. I don't even know if I can if it, you know if it's going to be possible to sleep in later yeah, with it helps to have a lot sleep going on let that. me ask you something mm -hmm. uh, 
have you experimented with the time of day that you meditate? Because when I was having heavy dullness problems, it made a, diff a huge difference if I meditated by the morning or the afternoon. Yeah, I've gone through uh, sleeping, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, meditating either midday, late at, uh, at night, or in the morning. Um, and it's usually nights are the worst in terms of dullness. Uh, I've been doing morning this past week or two, um, just because I've been so busy that I, it's better just to do it early. Um, and that, that's still dullness. And during the midday, I would say it's a little bit better most of the time, but um, I can still, still get dull. And in the morning, do you do right after you wake up or later? Um, I can do e either or. I try to, to okay. do it after I wake up, but usually I, I end up doing something else and then do it a little bit later. Yeah, because in my personal experience, uh, if I just wake up, I'm still gonna get dullness. So I wake up, I have a breakfast, I do something light, then I go to meditate, and my meditations are much better than if I try to meditate right away or if I meditate later in the day. So that's just uh, something to consider. I would, I would echo that. I have the same experience. I usually don't do it right after I wake up. I, I say, oh, because I do feel that way, the same way you mentioned it right after doing it. So I'll maybe go have some coffee, write in my journal an hour, take a shower, um, and then do the meditation after. But it's even with having a jolt of coffee, it's sometimes I can still either get dull or or, I'll, or be agitated or something like that. So I haven't, I haven't really noticed uh, anything better before or after. Have you experimented with dropping coffee? Uh, I haven't done an experiment on that. No, <laughs> I have dropped it for a few days, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, thought has crossed my mind. I do keep it uh, in the morning, though. You do. Uh, I don't do it before. On coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I I do usually one cup. In the morning, I might do something in the early afternoon. That's usually about it. But it's possible that it's worth it's worth experimenting. Yeah, with you might want to just try going cold turkey. You know, take take uh, painkillers and stuff because otherwise you'll be really sad. But uh, go cold turkey for a couple of weeks. It really takes quite a while for the caffeine to completely leave your system and your sleep cycles to 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 resynchronize. Um, I will freely confess that I am giving advice that I'm not following, so you know, taking what it's worth. But, but my experience has been that when I drop caffeine, um, I do actually wind up having uh, uh, more energy. And in fact, I've been kind of debating whether I'm gonna put in the next order for coffee beans or whether I'm just gonna like let it slide for a while. Because it, 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 it actually really does like affect your, your, um, your energy levels for meditation. And you know, there's a tendency to think, oh, you know, Drinking coffee will help my meditation, but really, it just—it's very artificial, and it's, you know, so I would—I would definitely suggest trying that. But, um, Rodrigo, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that coffee for me helps a little bit with dullness, but actually gets me agitated. Yeah. So I, I've tried meditating with coffee when I was having trouble with dullness, and it was not the the, the best experience. So. 
Yeah. Jula Dasa actually explicitly recommends that you not try to use caffeine to counteract dullness because, not that he says drop caffeine, but just don't use it to counteract dullness because then you're really not developing your skill of, of counteracting dullness. So. <laughs> yeah, it's worth, uh, it's definitely worth an experiment on that for a few weeks to see okay. what happens. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, the other thing is, I mean, I think you've heard me give you this advice before, but if you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, just do a 15 or 20 minute sit because otherwise you, you're, you're, you know, like if, especially if your head is spinning around with a problem, don't try to just go back to sleep because you won't just like go do something else for 15 or 20 minutes, meditating, even in dullness. You probably won't be in dullness. Actually, if you're, if your mind is spinning around a problem, it's probably got a lot of energy. And so, so going and doing a sit will help you. And then, you go back to sleep instead of like having a really crappy sleep and you might find that you have more uh, energy in the morning. See you, Carrie. Okay, well, uh, we've been doing a bit of a marathon here. Schultz had his hand up for a while, so let's let you go before, uh, before we run out of time. Yeah, thanks. Sure. My question is about uh, stage five, uh, late stage five, and sort of the transition towards stage six. I, I don't really understand how this is going to look. So I'll just tell you what my sits in stage five look like, and then uh, maybe the, the problem will become kind of apparent. So my stage, uh, my stage five sits, or the ones that land in stage five well, uh, typically I do around like 20 minutes of stage four, kind of stabilizing a good stage four. Uh, and then I, I do the body scan, which I do for maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, I, usually only scan my arms and then return to the nose and then do my legs and then return to the nose. Uh, and I, I stay at the nose as long as uh, breath sensations are much more vivid and I feel like I, I don't have much subtle dullness or, or any that I can detect. Uh, usually by the time I've, I've scanned both these things, uh, I can kind of just stabilize the state of really enhanced, uh, enhanced quality of attention. So the vividness is good and dullness stays away. But it seems like I've eaten almost all of my hour by this point. This is the point where I'm supposed to initiate stage six practice. So I thought maybe maybe uh, stage five would uh, would just teach me how to automatically correct for dullness without doing the scan at all, and uh, and just correct and increase the vividness of attention just overall without having to do the scan. So that maybe this initial stage four part would just become more and more vivid, more and more uh, less and less dull, uh, and I would sort of not have to do as long a body scan. But I'm not actually noticing that at all. Um, if I don't do the body scan, it seems like my quality of attention hasn't changed at all. Like from before I was doing any stage five practice at all to now, which has been quite a while, a couple months at least, um, it, it seems like the quality of my attention hasn't changed. Uh, I can detect dullness, but I don't really correct for it automatically. It seems like the only thing that truly corrects for it is doing the scan for a while. Um, so I'm curious how, how this is supposed to go or, or how this could work. Unless I just extend my sits to an hour and a half or something like that, but it doesn't seem like other people do that who are in stage six or higher. Uh, it, it seems kind of weird to me that I have to ramp up and by doing a like, sequence of techniques that are like, increasingly more elaborate to be able to uh, just have good vividness and, and no dullness. So what should I make of this? What do, what do you guys experience? Uh... I, so I, I bet Sam's going to want to jump in on this. I, I have some answers too, but Sam, you go ahead. Yeah, um, first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, 
Are you always doing the scan for the same amount of time, no matter how your mindfulness and clarity looks at any one time? Um, usually, yeah, uh, more or less. So I typically, I've gotten sort of a, a habit that I always do the scan the same way. I scan my arms and I return to the nose. I scan my legs and then I return to the nose. Sometimes just doing the arms is enough, but usually, uh, usually the quality of attention and the, the lack of dullness kind of fades relatively quickly after the arms. Uh, doing the legs in addition seems to be enough. So um, rather than uh, starting stage four, okay, so you get to stage five, cool, do 20 minutes of body scan, okay, now I'm ready to, uh, you know, sit's almost over, I'm gonna go back to the nose. Um, I think the idea is to notice right away when you're doing the body scan, if your attention is more vivid and your mindfulness is uh, higher quality uh, overall. Once you notice that, then you go back to the nose and you try to maintain that vividness and clarity for as long as you can until it fades away again. And then you go back to the body scan. It, yeah. Does that describe what you're doing? Uh, yeah, that pretty much does. I guess I got in the habit of finishing body parts before uh, before doing this, but are you, are you saying like, let's say I start a scan at the hand and by the time I've scanned like the hand and the forearm, I'm already, it already feels like uh, I don't have any dullness and uh, things are quite vivid. At that point, I should just go straight to the nose and try to maintain that. Uh, that's been what's worked for me. Um, part of a uh, stage five is like noticing when you're more vivid too. That's uh, that's mm -hmm. that goes into the introspective awareness. You're you're trying to notice, okay, at what point does my uh, clarity and uh, mindfulness go up, and noticing that is part of the practice of increasing the introspective awareness. So as soon as you notice that, then uh, you can go back to the nose, and then so it, it's kind of like. Um, you're, it's, it's sort of a dynamic thing in the beginning because the body scan will be doing something for your uh, mindfulness and you'll be noticing a difference. And, the, and part of it is just to notice that difference and to try to maintain the higher clarity. Um, and so if, if, uh, if you're just sticking around with the body scan and everything's really vivid, and uh, I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I think the well there is because I, I have my problem with that. <laughs> right yeah I mean it seems like this will resolve in time you just gotta give it some time like eventually um, you'll spend less time in stage four and you'll notice okay now I'm ready for stage five and it'll be maybe 15 minutes into the session um, and then you know you'll just notice that this whole progression happens faster and faster mm -hmm. um, yeah. It yeah, sounds like you haven't noticed that yet, but... I, I have noticed that, for sure. Uh, I used to take much longer in stage four, and the scan took much longer, and then the vividness didn't last as long after. So this has definitely progressed. But I, I, feel, I see it kind of like leveling off mm -hmm. and stabilizing kind of where I am now. Yeah, so when it levels off like that, that's because... Uh, so your mind is only has so much juice at any one time in the development, right? Um, into, in order to increase the, uh, the, the, the amount of, you know, like mind moments you can bring to any one moment, you have to do bigger and bigger areas with that body scan. Because that's part of, the, part of the idea is you're increasing your conscious power. So if you're noticing it plateauing off, um, 
it might just be because you need to, it, it, it might just be that that's the time you start thinking about increasing your conscious power uh, mm -hmm. by doing bigger areas. Are, are you doing that? Yeah, I, I left off the, the, I guess I left off details here. So I do the arms where I scan the individual arms and then I, I kind of, I put my attention on the sensation of like the totality of my arms for a while. Then I return to the nose Then I do the legs. Uh, and then I put my attention on, I try to put, make my object of attention, the entirety of my legs and my arms. And it seems like stabilizing attention on that very large object, that's what gets me increased vividness. And that's what gets me no dullness. Yeah, it, it is exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I do do that. But that's, that's kind of what convinced me that uh, I need to do this whole scan because it's really this end bit where I focus on everything simultaneously that that's the part that seems to do it. Right. So, I mean, you realize that what you're doing when you, when you focus, when you increase the, the scope of what you're scanning or the scope of attention in a particular stage of the scanning is you're incrementally getting closer to doing a full body scan or doing a full breathing with the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I kind of do that. I, like I almost am doing that at the end. Yeah. Right. So um, I guess I, I don't, Sam, did you have more that you wanted to interject here or are you? Okay? Um, that was pretty much it. All right. Yeah, so, so uh, I guess th there are a couple things that, that, that come to my mind about this. One is um, it's probably worth uh, seeing if there's actually some resistance to scanning the whole body um, because you, you say that you always scan the arms and you always scan the legs and, and yet, you know, things are plateauing and, and so see if you can include like, like rather than just continuing to do what you've been doing, add more, um, which, you know, I mean, personally, I have a lot of aversion to the body scan, <laughs> sad to say. Um, and so I know exactly what that's like, but uh, uh, the, the body scan actually has quite a few valuable purposes, only one of which is that it increases the, the mental power, the power of consciousness. Um, and, and another of which is that it increases clarity, but it also uh, uh, sort of gets you in touch with places where there's resistance in your body. And so, um, so to not scan certain parts of your body is probably counterindicated. So, yeah. so I would really recommend that you just like, you know, if, if, if it takes you your whole practice to do your arms and it doesn't sound like it does, but if it did take you your whole practice to do your arms and your legs, then you would want to, like do your arms and your legs one day and your torso another day and your head another day or something like that. Uh, if you can get to all of them in the practice, uh, that would be the next step. Mm -hmm. So that's one angle that I would look at here. The other angle is like, why is it taking you 20 minutes to get to stage five? Um, I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying this is a question to ask and consider and, and examine. And I think what you'll probably find is that the answer is that there's still some work to do in stage four. Uh, which sucks because like, you know, we want to be done with stage four, but, um, but if that's the case, then it's actually an opportunity because it's work that you're now able to do in stage four that you weren't able to do in stage four earlier because you didn't have enough mental power, enough power of consciousness, enough energy. So, um, so rather than your stage four practice, just being sort of the, the, the climbing of the hill to get to the point where you can do the stage five practice, uh, you should also be thinking about what um, what am I doing in my stage four part of the practice that's not working well. 
or that's mm -hmm. taking time. That's that's like why is it that that it, that it takes me 20 minutes and not five minutes to get to the top of the hill? And I don't mean that you know add effort because that's not the right way to solve this problem at all, yeah. right? But um, but just like what are the obstacles? Like what's going wrong? What's like what what themes am I seeing? Like why do I why am I identifying myself as being at stage four and not at stage five at the beginning? Like mm -hmm. and then. Whatever that is, surely there's something. If there's not, then just go straight to stage five. But, um, but if there is something that's making you feel like, well, I actually need to do stage four a bit before I do stage five, what is that? And, and then see if you can improve that aspect of your stage four practice to the point where it takes like, you know, two or three minutes to get to stage five instead of 20. Mm -hmm. I mean, 20 minutes is like a huge span in a meditation, right? It's, yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's definitely room for improvement. Um, and so the question is just sort of discovering how, how to do that. Um, and I mean, one thing you can do is you can just go straight into stage five, you know, artificially, like without any feeling of confidence that you're ready and see what goes wrong. And that will help you to identify the things that you need to work on. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. uh, yeah, I, uh, I occasionally do sits that just stay in stage four because I'm not. Uh, usually the obstacle is that I'm not really satisfied with how rapidly I'm catching gross distractions or subtle distractions before they become gross. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have some, I guess, high standards for this. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, there's another reason to just, you know, experimentally jump into stage five and see what breaks. Sure. Yeah. I'll try that. Sam, you had something to say. Yeah. Um, so actually what was a huge breakthrough for me in getting past stage five was, um, I just stayed in stage four for the entire time for a while. And I was noticing that I was moving to stage five too soon and I wasn't able to maintain uh, no gross dullness and no gross distractions for the entire sit. And I, so I was moving to stage five too soon and I was actually had some residual um, progressive subtle dullness while I was trying to do stage five. And once I figured that out, um, I stuck with stage four for a while until I could like go the entire sit stage four and not have any gross dullness or gross distractions. And that that's really what got me past stage five. After you did that, what did your stage five look like? Like once you've done this kind of upgrade to stage four, uh, what was your stage five? Like, would you, would you do what Ted was suggesting that maybe you do five minutes of stage four before moving on to stage five? Is that what it looked like? Um, so I pretty much after that, after I got a hold on that, like I started in stage five and very quickly moved up to stage six within like five minutes um, because I already had the, um, the, the habit of increasing the mindfulness. I just was sort of hindered before because there was some residual dullness. But once I learned to um, be fully clear before um, going into stage five, it was way more effective. Uh, so the body scan is uh, hugely more effective if you don't have any of the progressive dullness. And it can be hard to notice that sometimes because you'll, you'll feel pretty clear. Um, but if you, if you just wait a little bit, uh, you might notice that it will come. You'll get some progressive subtle dullness coming in. Um, so my, my sort of litmus test is can I go for like a half an hour um, at a particular stage? and maintain the goals for that stage for an entire half hour. And if you find before a half an hour that that stage is failing, 
you probably haven't mastered that stage in, in the moment. Um, and sometimes it can take a, a while working at a particular stage for the, for the cracks to start to show, you know. Um, so maybe just, you know, maybe just experiment with that. Try sticking in stage four the whole time. See what you notice. Sure, yeah, I'll do that more. I think uh, another thing you said earlier, uh, yeah, uh, pointed out uh, something that I'm missing, which is you said notice uh, increases in vividness during the scan. Uh, I, I kind of like have stupidly been only looking for changes when I return to the nose and, and sort of not assessing the vividness as I'm scanning at all. Uh, just sort of like, oh, there's the sensation of whatever body part. Uh, and not assessing whether it's, it's uh, vivid or not, whether it's clear or not, clearer or not. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's something that uh, is really important to do continuously and that's kind of uh, where you're working towards. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you think about it, that's essentially the skill you're trying to develop to get out of stage six, automatically doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, for some value of automatic, I got chided for automatic earlier, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I think you guys gave me uh, something to work with here. I'll, I'll try going back to stage four and seeing if I can solidify those skills. And uh, I'll, I'll play with, I'll, I'll work on detecting uh, vividness more during the scan, just being mindful of this. Well, yeah. I'm not sure why I wasn't doing that to this point. Thanks. Saga is around to point out our blind spots. All right, uh, so we're at uh, an hour and a half. Does anybody have any last minute thoughts they'd like to bring up before we close? Just one quick thing about um, what Mike was mentioning. <clears throat> and maybe Mike, you already do this. Um, but I just recommend like if you do catch yourself in gross distraction, just to actually like celebrate it. Maybe you're already doing it, but I found that to be like the best thing is to actually like, hey, this is a win. It's not like a lose um, whenever you catch yourself in that kind of state. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, I, I try to, I, I do like the, re, I think there was somebody who mentioned it was another method, but it's like re-smile. <laughs> I, I forgot what it was from, but uh, so when I, when I catch myself, I, you can, if someone was watching me, they'd probably see like a little smile start to go on my face. That's me when I, when I catch the aha moment as infrequently as, as it is nowadays. Smile asana. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for coming and uh, I will see you hopefully next Saturday. Bye everybody.